All right, let's crack our Bibles open to Second Chronicles, chapter 4 tonight, and chapter 5, 4 and 5, 4 and 5. All right, so the first nine chapters or so of this book of Second uh, Chronicles pretty much deals with the reign of Solomon, and, uh, and the, six of those nines are devoted specifically to the to the uh, building of the temple and the preparation of the temple and de- uh, dedication of the temple. So we're seeing a lot of that here. We've seen some of it uh, last week. We're going to look at a few of the, uh, the furnishings, I guess, and the, the utensils that were used inside of uh, the temple. We're going to see how we can see some of these and what they may symbolize for us as, uh, as believers here in modern day. So starting with the verse 1 in chapter 4. Says, moreover, he made a bronze altar. Twenty cubits was its length, twenty cubits its width, and ten cubits its height. So, one of the first things you would notice when you would walk into the temple area would be uh, the altar that he built. Now, this altar was a lot bigger than the ones that was in the tabernacle. There was probably some stairs you had to climb to get up to uh, go ahead and make the sacrifices on the altar because this was a lot bigger than the original bronze altar. But we look at an altar, and we think of an altar, what's one thing we think about? We think about the sacrifice that's being made on it. And what that meant to these people, that their sins were going to be forgiven, and it was going to be covered for whatever period of time. And uh, so they took this sacrifice, and at least in the early stages of the temple, very seriously. Uh, not only sacrifice to forgive the sins of Israel, but individual sins, and so on and so forth. And Solomon was taking this to be real serious. But we've also had an altar, which is a cross, where our Savior was ultimately sacrificed for us. And uh, that altar there in, in the time of Israel was their way of being forgiven of their sins. And our way of being forgiven permanently is by Christ dying on the cross and laying himself down on the altar to be our sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of religions in the world that wants to tell you how to do your life. And when you fail, they have nothing for that. But thank God in Christianity, whenever it tells us how to do our life through this word, it also gives us a way to get out when we fail. And that's through the blood of Christ and the sacrifice that was made. And uh, so Christianity definitely provides us how to live, but it also provides provision for our inevitable failure that we're going to have in life. And uh, thank God for that, because too many religions, uh, you, you, can, you can run the list. They want to tell you to be good and make sure your good outweighs your bad. But we all know that that doesn't lead to life in heaven and life with Christ. So thank God for his uh, sacrifice that he made for us on that altar, the cross. Amen. In verse 2, it says, Then he made a sea of cast bronze, ten cubits from one brim to the other, it was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and, uh, and a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. And under it was the likeness of oxen, encircling it all around, ten to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. It stood on twelve oxen, three looking uh, towards the north, three looking towards the west, three looking towards the south, and three looking towards the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inwards. It was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. 
It contained 3,000 baths. So we see here, they talk about the oxen that was underneath this basically big bathtub that they had with the 12 oxen, probably representing the 12 tribes of uh, Israel. And this um, particular uh, piece of furnishing here was basically used to purify the priest. So after they would sacrifice, a day of sacrificing, they would go in and cleanse themselves and wash themselves of the impurities that that probably came upon them when they were sacrificing these different animals. And when we talk about purifying and washing themselves clean, we go back to our Savior, who was sacrificed on that altar for us. And we're now washed in his blood and made pure as well. Also, in John 15, 3, it says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And we get more purified as we get into the word of God and we let that word just, just soak into us and clean, clean out our inner parts and just, and just purify us through his word. And we are purified through his blood and that sacrifice that he made as, 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 as we, we turn our life over to him daily and we're cleansed by him daily. So these priests, after these sacrifices were done, they would go in there and they would wash themselves to get clean of the pure, uh, clean of the pure, um, clean of all the, they would get purified because of all the stuff that they would have to sacrifice and all the blood and everything. So uh, I got it out. But uh, they would definitely go in and purify themselves just like our Savior purifies us through his blood. Amen. All right. We're going to move on without mistakes now, right? Verse six. <laughs> yeah. Verse six, he says, he also made ten levers um, and put five on the right side and five on the left to wash in them such things as they offered for the burnt offerings. They would wash uh, in them, but the sea was for the priests to wash. So now they also had a little smaller washing stations, you can call them. And these were used to wash the uh, victims of the sacrifice, so the calves and whatever, they were, the sheep that they were uh, sacrificing, they would wash the parts off before the sacrifice or what have you. Whereas the uh, the bigger seed, the one that we just spoke about, was for the priests to actually go in and purify themselves. So they were used for two different parts. Now the tabernacle, uh, it never said whether they had two washing parts or not, so they may have used the same area, uh, the levers to wash themselves there for both of themselves and the items that they were sacrificing. In verse 7 it says, And he made ten lampstands of gold according to their design and set them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left side. So here we're looking at these uh, lampstands of gold that he was making. Pretty sure it would get dark in there, have to have light stands to light the way. But when we think about the light stands, we think about the light that Christ brought us. And, and that here he's, he's, he's using ten lampstands uh, inside this temple, whereas he probably should have just used the one, and the one standing for the all-seeing God, the God, the one God who is the light of the world. Israel was to be the light of the world as well to the people, to bring this Messiah and bring the Savior in, and that's what that, that light in that lampstand would represent. And Jesus said, said this in, in John eight twelve. it says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. And we're to be light to the people in this dark world. We're just talking about how 
what a bad road our country is going down in, in every aspect of life is going down the wrong road. But we still need to be that light. We still need to be the one that is bringing the light of the gospel to, to the people that are hurting and dying out there. Even those who don't think they need it. They need, they need to see that light as well. And until the Lord takes us, takes us out of here, that's what we need to be. We need to be the salt and light to the people in this dark world. Amen. Right, verse 8. It says, He also made the ten tables and placed them in the temple, five on the right side and five on the left side. And he made 100 bowls of gold. Furthermore, he made the court of the priests and the great court and the doors for the court. And he overlaid those doors with bronze. So here we see him uh, making tables now. Now, most likely, maybe those lampstands that he made, maybe they set on the table. And also the showbread may have set on these tables as well. We should kind of speak about that a little later on. But we're not quite sure exactly what these tables were used for. But most likely, that's what they were used for. Then he talked about building the the courts and also the doors for the courts. So you had around the sanctuary, he built the court uh, of the priest or the inner court and it separated from the great court or the outer court by a wall consisting of three rows of large hewn stones and a row of cedar beams. And there were doors to separate them. Now these doors um, here, we can speak of Jesus, who is our door, who? To the Father. So the, he is the way that we come in to be with the Father. He is the only door to bring us to the Father. There's no other door we can open that brings us to the Father. And John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So he brings us a rest. He brings us to the nourishment of these pastures and refreshment of these pastures. Once we walk through the door to the Father. And then it talks about that these doors are made of bronze. Now, in Scripture, bronze is usually spoken of as judgment. It's looked at as judgment. And the only way we enter into the presence of God is realizing that Jesus Christ, our door, was judged for our sin. He took the judgment and the punishment that we should have taken. And so by entering through his doors, we're entering through the judgment that he had taken for our sins, and we are pardoned for that. Amen. Verse 10 says, he set the sea on the right side towards the southeast. Then uh, Haram made the pots and the shovels and the bowls. So Haram finished doing uh, the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of God. The two pillars and the bowl-shaped capitals that were on the top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, which were on top of the pillars, 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the two bowl-shaped capitals that were on the pillars. He also made carts uh, and the lavers on the carts, one sea and 12 oxen under it. Also the pots and the shovels, the forks, and all the articles uh, Haram, his master craftsman, made for, uh, for a burnished bronze for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. So here is kind of repeating some of the things that Haram made for the temple and some of the items that uh, that were there. Uh, you notice he also talked about the levers. He talked about the bases for the levers as well. Now they had wheels on them to be able to roll to wherever they needed to, 
to bring uh, the water to wash the items. And so, so it was pretty, pretty elaborate uh, plans he had here. So Hiram, the pagan from Tyre, made all the pots, all the shovels, all the items that were needed to work in, uh, and to function inside the temple. And finally, his work was done. Now, when I think of work is done, I'm thinking about what I want to hear the Lord say when I come up to heaven. Your work is done. Your race is done. Second Timothy 4, 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. One day we'll, we'll, we'll finish it. We'll finish our race. The Lord's going to welcome us in. Even John, uh, in John 17, 4, Jesus said that he had finished the work which uh, the Lord had gave him to do. Whenever he was on the cross and he died and he breathed his last word, he said, it is finished. He finished the work. And so here we see Hiram finishing the work for the temple. And one day our work will be finished and he'll, he'll, he'll welcome us into his arms. Verse 17, it says, In the plain of Jordan, the king had uh, them cast in clay molds between Succoth and Zorda and Solomon. And Solomon had all these articles made in such uh, great abundance that the weight of the bronze was not determined. So there were so many items and so many things made that it was, you couldn't even, you couldn't even count the articles uh, that, were, that were being made. And again, bronze, speaking of judgment, you know, just as the weight of bronze was used in the temple was so great that they couldn't count it. How about the judgment that, that Jesus absorbed for us? is immeasurable right now. I don't think with our minds, we can't even fathom what he really did on that cross. We, we, we can't. And, you know, maybe when we get to heaven, we can't. We may not even be able to either. We don't know. But there was, there was so much brought upon Christ on the cross, so much judgment, you know, for those who lived before him and after him and while he was on earth. You know, 2,000 somewhat years later, he paid for mine and yours. Just imagine the, 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 the weight and the heaviness. We, we can't even measure what that, what that was about. But he did it for us anyway. So here, the, this whole passage, you know, we open this passage with the, the making of the sanctuary. Now we're going to close with the making of the, the items that we use in the sanctuary. So we talked, about the, we talked about the tables, and we talked about the lamp, we talked about the altar. Now we're going to talk about some of the other items that were made uh, here for the sanctuary. In verse 19, it says, Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of God, the altar of gold and the tables on which uh, was the showbread, the lampstand uh, with their lamps of pure gold to burn in the prescribed manner in front of the inner sanctuary, with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold of purest gold, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold. As for the entry of the sanctuary, its inner doors, the most holy place, and the doors of the main hall of the temple were gold. Now we know in First Kings all the gold that he had. It was quite a bit of gold. He was he was very uh, very lavish buildings and in, 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 uh, building projects that he had. A lot of it had to do with gold, and when we think about gold, we probably think about deity or royalty. And uh, he was definitely putting that on display for the nation of Israel by doing this, not only inside of his, 
his temple, but also inside his own palace and his, his courtroom uh, was lined with gold as well. It was, it was very abundant at this time. And we talked about bronze being uh, a symbol of judgment in, in the Bible. So we see that, that Jesus bore our judgment on the cross. But the story didn't end there, did it? Because what did he do? He rose and went to sit on the right hand of the, of the Father. He ended up becoming that deity, the royalty that is represented by gold that he put here in this temple. So just, you know, the, the Lord definitely has risen and, and, and he has won this battle against death. Amen. All right, we're going to move on to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 5. In verse 1 it says, So all the work of Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasure of the house of God. You remember David had gathered up a lot of items for this temple, not only to build it, but also to, um, also to be able to use his utensils inside. And he had extra <laughs> for whatever else he was going to need, too. So David definitely got on the... Uh, the preparation trip there that's for sure now solomon assembled the elders of israel and all the heads of the tribes the chiefs uh, fathers of the children in israel in jerusalem that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the lord up from the city of david which is zion so now we're going to see them wanting to start to bring the ark back to where it's going to permanently at least in their mind was going to reside that it was going to be no more of this moving around the ark was going to be permanently set in Jerusalem, in the temple, for all to come and worship. Now, it took the temple, it took, to build the temple, it took about seven years to complete. So it took a while to get this temple built. But just like the temple taking a while to be built, we'll take a while to be built. God works on us day in and day out. We talked about praying for Roy. We all need that prayer. We all need some good working. <laughs> And so that's what the Lord does. And some of us, it takes longer than others. And, and, you know, so the Lord definitely works on us all. So now they're going to start bringing in uh, the ark. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, uh, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders uh, of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark, the, uh, the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and the holy uh, furnishings that were in the tabernacle, the priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted of numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to, the, to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. So here we see them start to bring it in, and as they're bringing in the ark of the covenant, what are they doing? They're still sacrificing. They, they've been sacrificing for a while now, and it was definitely pleasing to the Lord. It was probably a sweet aroma to them getting these sacrifices as they're bringing in the ark uh, where they would be able to, to meet with him. <clears throat> be able to meet with him. 
And then moving on to verse uh, verse 9, it says, Then the poles extended so that the ends of the pole of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they are there till this day. So they talk about the they're talking about the Ark of the Covenant here. And they're talking about bringing it in to having a permanent spot. And we see the cherubim that they're facing inward. They're facing in towards the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was where God would meet with men. And we thank God that he meets with us in mercy and not in judgment. And that the, the law was taken care of by Christ. Because we can never keep the law. No matter how hard we may try in our best effort on our best day, we would never be able to keep that law. But Christ kept that law. And Christ took the judgment for us to where we'd be able to meet with God at a place of mercy. And then it goes on talking about the poles. You know, the tabernacle, and then it talks about they brought the tabernacle up too. So they took, they took it and brought it into, uh, into Jerusalem. And we talk about the tabernacle, we're talking about a, a, a place of, of almost pilgrimage because they were constantly on the move when they were using the tabernacle once they came out of Egypt. And he says that, you know, Christ did what he tabernacled with us. Or in, in John one uh, fourteen, it talks about he dwelt with us. And, you know, that's what he was doing. But now that is over with, we, we see a permanent spot now for the temple and for the ark. And his kingdom is now going to be set up and it's going to be a permanent kingdom. Just like when Christ does return, his kingdom will be permanently set up for eternity. And we just await that day. In verse 10, it says, Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses uh, put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. So now we remember that the ark also had the rod of Aaron and also had the jar of manna in there. But that's not mentioned here. So somewhere probably when the Philistines had got the ark, we're, we assume that that's where those items end up getting lost and somehow. The Bible is very silent on what happened to those other two items. But the law of God is still inside that, inside the ark. And that, and that had to do also with the covenant that he made with the people of Israel. So he wanted to make sure that that was brought to their attention, that we still have a covenant there's still my law that has to be followed. And this is where it's at. In verse 11. It says, And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. So remember, they were broke up into divisions, and they were going to have different times during different days and during different months that they were going to go and, and perform their duties where well, all of them were gathered here at this time. And it says, And the Levites, who were the singers, all those of Asaph and of uh, Haman and Ju- Judathan, their, uh, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, uh, stringed instruments, harps, and with them, 120 priests sounding with trumpets. So this is a celebration that's happening. The ark is coming in. Uh, we see them. We see the, uh, all of them about to praise and worship God here. We have all the priests are on hand to perform all these sacrifices 
pretty sure it was all hands on deck because there was a lot of sacrifices that were being made uh, during this celebration. And, I, and I'm sure none of the priests wanted to miss it at all. And then we see them coming together with all those who were part of the praise and the worship team coming up to give praise and worship to God. And it says here that they were, they were in their white linen, linen having symbols and were all around the altar. Now, to me, that's a picture of heaven where we're all going to be in our purified bodies and we're going to be in our maybe some robes or what have you, just worshiping God, just getting excited about who he is and what he's done for us. And that's going to happen one day. And when I read that, that's, that's what I thought. Wow, this is almost a picture of us in heaven, what we're going to be doing, worshiping and praising God. And in verse 13, it says, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard. And pray. see, one, one, they're, they're together in one in unity with each other. That's exactly what's going to happen. When we're, going to, we're all going to be one, wanting to worship Christ. I wish it was that way with our church. Not, not our church here, but the church in general. I wish we were united as one here on earth. Could we imagine the things that the, that the Lord could do, do through us if we were? But here, they're, they're united as one. Their singers are as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments and music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house... The house of the Lord will be filled with a cloud. So they're just worshiping the Lord. And the Lord is seeing all this. And as we read into the next verse in 14, it says, So that they said the house filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Amen. Amen. Could you imagine what that, what that felt like when, when the Lord just... just occupied that temple he came in and he had to become in a cloud he couldn't he couldn't be seen everybody would have fell dead but he came in to 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 occupy that place and he comes into each and every one of our souls and he occupies us the holy spirit has filled us and we are occupied by him and we should we should we should glory in that and be happy about that you know just to, just to see the lord coming in in all his glory and all his power and all his majesty into this place. And we get to walk with him daily as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We should definitely get excited. Sometimes we're too quiet about it, but we should definitely get excited about that. That, that, that. What an honor that is just to have God dwelling inside of us through his spirit. Amen. So blessed was the Lord by his praise and worship of his people that there was, uh, there was room for nothing else but his presence. Amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this message tonight. And we thank you, Lord, that you were our sacrifice on that altar, Lord. We thank you that you are the one who purifies us with your blood, Father. We thank you, Lord, that you are our great provider and that you have, you have chosen to save us, Father God, because you didn't have to. But you chose to, Lord, and what a privilege and what an honor it is to be saved by you, Lord, even though we don't deserve it. And just to be here in your presence tonight, Lord, and that we can just come and just listen to your word and be fed in your word, Lord. And that it would just just get into our deepest interbeing, Father God, that your word would just...
be with us, Lord, and that we would meditate on it day and night, Lord, for your glory, Lord. Pray for blessings over those who are here tonight. I pray for the blessings uh, for those who are not here, Lord, that are normally with us. We pray for your traveling mercies on the way home. In Jesus' name, amen.